The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball, this is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. A warm up for Lilo. Welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson. Now, a part of the VC family podcast, we've got a tremendous podcast for you. It's in the second segment. Going to be joined by Alex Crow, actually, a gentleman I wound up going to college with while I was at UW Oshkosh. He now works for the official flagship station of the Milwaukee Brewers, 620 WTMJ out there in the great state of Wisconsin. So, naturally, we're going to bring him on because he's a big Cubs fan to talk a little bit about the Chicago Cubs. And on top of that, we're going to be taking a look at the entire National League Central. And also, I think this is going to be very important to take a look at. Cubs are rumored to be having probably a little bit more of a fire sale this season, trading off guys like Wilson Contreras and company. Going to get a little bit of just insight as to what might be going on there, how to be able to gauge these teams that they probably are going to be selling off pieces because, well, the Reds, they're not going anywhere. The Pittsburgh Pirates, we've seen that they are prone to making deals, and oftentimes they wind up blowing up in their face as well. So we're going to have that chat with Alex in the second segment. Going to be a lot of fun there. Then in the final segment, going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Thursday as we touch them all. First things first, always do love to be able to answer Twitter questions on this podcast. You've got one or two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GUnit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters M. Maybe it does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. And the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're both firing whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. I know that I wound up getting a question as to why I don't include as much with regards to pitchers and their history against teams. And biggest reason why is because when you take a look at pitchers and their history against teams, typically you just don't wind up getting the same lineup. Like, you're able to get a pretty good sample size on, like, say, Jacob deGrom against Bryce Harper, for instance. There's a lot of history there, and that's something that you're able to take and you're able to utilize it quite well. But, I mean, I will be mentioning this in the final segment, like Martin Perez, for instance, wound up going to Oakland a little bit earlier this season, wound up having a good outing. That's going to be mentioned with regards to that breakdown. But if you're taking a look at a guy on the Rangers that has maybe been there for a few years, like Taylor Hearn, for instance, his historical stats against the Oakland A's, they're just pretty irrelevant because if you take a look at the A's, lineup just from 12 months ago even, I mean, let alone 24, 36 months, with them trading away Matt Chapman, with them trading away Matt Olson, with them no longer having, I mean, even if you want to go back, Chris Davis from a few years ago, it's just not the same team, which is why I really don't wind up including a lot of pitcher versus team sort of stats. Now, we're applicable, I certainly will, like we're going to get Rays versus Yankees this weekend, like G-Man Choi owns the soul of Garrett Cole. So when it does wind up applying and you wind up having a sample size, I will include it. But I mean, if a pitcher is face off against a team like once in their current form, it's not one of these things where it's like, well, 
He's got an ERA of 12 for his career against Team X when he's only faced off against him once. That's a very small sample size, so that's the biggest reason why I don't wind up including it as much. Once again, it's not a case in which I'll never include it, but a lot of times I just think that there's such a small sample size, and the sample size that we do wind up having, it's just varied so much with regards to roster movement that you just can't wind up using it in a lot of these instances. So that's my reasoning for that. Hopefully that wound up clearing that up for you guys. Now let's take a look back at everything that we wound up seeing in Major League Baseball on Wednesday. Try to find some trends and try to get to know that he seems a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. Quite a few low-scoring games in the MLB on Wednesday and one of those games was Astros and Guardians as the Astros get done by a count of 2-1. Christian Avier, a very good start. Five and two-thirds scoreless innings, and the Astros currently have the best bullpen here in the big leagues, and they got it done here. Blake Taylor does wind up giving up one run in two-thirds of an inning, but Hector Neris, Ryan Sanic both give you not out of the bullpen, and then Rafael Montero and Ryan Presley both come in scoreless eighth and ninth innings, and among the five bullpen pieces that came in for the Astros, four left with an ERA of a 270 or better. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Cleveland Guardians, just not a lot doing on offense for the team, and Tough luck for Cal Quantrill. Solid start. Gives up two runs over the course of six innings. Trevor Steven, Brian Shaw, they both give you a scoreless setting, but the Guardians unable to get any offense generated whatsoever. And for the Guardians, the uh, team has scored three runs or fewer in four out of their last six games. You did wind up seeing the Milwaukee Brewers get the job done against the Padres 2-1. Took the Padres with the DK Nation pick, and they just couldn't get anything going on offense. They wind up going 0-6 with men in scoring position, eight men left on base, and you Darvish probably left in a little bit too long. Goes six and two-thirds innings did not wind up giving up any runs until the seventh inning. He wound up throwing him this 108 pitches. Gives up two runs from there. Robert Suarez gives you four outs out of the bullpen, and Luis Garcia, a scoreless inning. Brewers were without Hader in the series, by the way, but Devin Williams for the third straight day goes out there. He's able to get the save. He throws a scoreless inning by Boxberger. Scoreless inning, and you wind up having Luis Perdomo give you four outs out of the bullpen with Aaron Ashby. A tremendous start. Five and two-thirds innings. Gives up one unearned run as Jace Peterson. Great name. Not such a great day for him, though. He wanted committing an error that allowed for the lone run in this game. So, nice little game of leaser there. The Detroit Tigers are averaging right around 2.2 runs per game on the road. They get it done against the Minnesota Twins by kind of 4-2 to two as they wound up getting three home runs in this one. Someone call the fire department because this team is smoking. Jameer Candelario, he winds up getting a home run in the 10th inning for his fourth of the campaign. That comes off of a bullpen that has actually been relatively solid for the Twins. Trevor McGill wound up giving that up. Gave up two runs, one of which was earned in his inning of work. Caleb Theobar was able to give you a scoreless inning, but Emilio Pagan also did what he did in San Diego. He gave up another home run in this one. That wound up coming off the bat of Harold Castro. Castro's third of the season as he got his second a little bit earlier off of Dylan. Don't call me Al Bundy. And Bundy, five two-thirds innings, gives up just that solo home run. Griffin Jacks along with Joe Smith both give you a pair of outs out of the bullpen. And for the Twins, only form of offense in this game, Trevor Larnich. First home run of the season came off the injured list as the Twins. They strand 10 men on base for Larnich, his first of the campaign. That winds up coming off of Ronnie Garcia, who gave a relatively solid start. Goes four innings, gives up two runs in them from there. A Tigers bullpen that is in the top five in the big leagues in terms of ERA went to work. Andrew Chafe and Michael Former combined for a scoreless 10th inning. Gregory Soto, Alex Lang, they combined for two scoreless innings. Then the Willie Peralta, Joey Jimenez, a combined three scoreless innings for the Tigers to be able to get the job done. The Pittsburgh Pirates were actually your highest scoring team on Wednesday as they wound up taking it to the Colorado Rockies. 10-5 to the final in this one for Colorado. Did have C.J. Krohn get his 12th home run season, but Ryan Feldner... 
Not a bad start here. Seven strikeouts, two runs allowed in five innings, but it's backed up by a bullpen in the Rockies as currently dead last with regards to ERA, and boy did they show it. Carlos Estevez and Lucas Gilbreth combined for an inning, giving up three runs. Justin Lawrence gave up four runs in an inning, and Ashley Gadu gave up a run in an inning. As for the Pittsburgh Pirates, you had Josh Van Meter go deep off of Lawrence and start home run season, then all of a sudden you've got Jack Swiznitsky hitting bombs. His fifth of the season. That winds coming off of Estevez said you did wind up having Zach Thompson not do necessarily a great job for this team. He does wind up giving up that home run to Crone. Four runs a total of course of three innings but bullpen went to work from there. Mitch Keller three and a third innings gives up one run and then you wind up having William Crow give you a scoreless inning. Yeri De Los Santos a scoreless inning and the wing goes to Dylan Peters. We got a pair of outs out of the bullpen and for the Pirates they've got just two wins from their starters this year. That is just an absolutely insane stat right there. What else is insane is how badly our good friend Thomas Zabucky wound up getting just completely hammered. 9-3 to the final for Mr. Zabucky. First career start, he got four outs, he gave up nine runs, all of which were earned, including four home runs. Got four outs and gave up four home runs. That is an ERA of a 60-75. That's not good for the Giants. Evan Longoria goes deep for his first and second home runs of the season. Jock Peterson, Fourth home run in two days, his 11th. Mike Ustremski, fourth home run of the season. And for the Mets, I mean, if there's a redeeming quality here, six and two-thirds innings, scoreless out of the bullpen. Trevor Williams eats three and two-thirds innings on short rest. Chase and Shreve, Seth Lugo, they both come in. They hold down the fourth along Colin, or hold along Colin Holderman. I'll give you a scoreless inning. And for the Mets, he did wind up having Francisco Lindor go deep off of Jacob Junis, eighth home run of the season. For Junis, gives up two runs over the course of six innings, so relatively solid there. Zach Liddell has been a little bit banged up along with Mauricio Lovero. Area will give you a scoreless inning, and Jose Alvarez gives up a run in an inning, so Giants able to get back online there. The LA Dodgers had a complete shortage of offense. They were the lone team on Wednesday to get shut out. 1-0 the final. Julio Arias, a little bit of a tough luck loser, gives up a one run over the course of six innings. You have Yancey Almonte come in from there. Two scoreless innings before the Dodgers. 0-9 with men in scoring position. Nine men left on base. Eric Fetty Wap had it all going on. 17-38. Six scoreless innings for him. Carl Edwards Jr., Kyle Finnegan, Tanner Rainey. All come in, hold down the fort with scoreless settings for the Washington Nationals. Not like it's necessarily going overly great with regards to this offense as they have scored 0-1 run in four out of their last six games and two runs or fewer in now, I believe, seven out of their last ten, but they did enough to be able to get the job done in this one, doing just enough to be able to get the job done as well. That'd be the Chicago White Sox, 3-1 the final. That saps a Boston Red Sox six-game win streak. Rich Hill, not a bad start here. Gives up three runs, two of which were earned over the course of five innings, including home run to Mr. Jake Berger, third home run of the season. Then from there, you did wind up having Tanner outcome in for three scoreless innings of relief, but problem for the Red Sox, not being able to drive them in. Twelve men left on base as the White Sox get a solid start out of Lucas Giolito. Had to evade a lot of danger, but just one run given up over the course of six innings. Aaron Bummer, Kendall Graveman combined for a scoreless inning. Joe Kelly gives you a pair of outs before he left with injury, so Liam Hendricks had to come in for a four-out save. Was able to get the job done there, as he's been a little bit more rock solid here in the last few weeks. Texas Rangers, they go on the road. They take it to the LA Angels by a count of 7-2 as for the Rangers, Cole Calhoun winds up going deep for his seventh home run season, and Mitch Garver is sixth. 
By the way, Marcus Simeon, two hits in this one to be able to advance his average of a buck 85. So has as many home runs as myself, so he's still lighting money on fire. And both of those home runs that the Rangers got came off of Reed Detmers. He is not looking like the same guy that threw a no-hitter a few weeks ago. Five runs given up over the course of six innings. Mike Myers, nothing funny about this, gives up two runs over the course of two innings. And Archie Bradley, first appearance in a while, a scoreless setting. And for the Angels, not a lot doing on offense. One of eight with men in scoring position. Joy Otani, Mike Trout, they go a combined 0 for 7. And for the Rangers, Glenn Otto gave up just one run over the course of five innings. He did have Joe Barlow give up a run in an inning, but Rangers bullpen has been very solid. You've had Dennis Santana do some good work. He gave you a scoreless inning. And Brock Burke, buck 17 ERA, two scoreless innings out of him. Philadelphia Phillies wound up committing some blunders, and it costed them 8-4. to four. The Atlanta Braves are able to get the WS. You did wind up having for the Philadelphia Phillies. Rangers Suarez get tagged for quite a few runs in this one. Five over the course of four and a third innings, but Fielding did not do him any favors. Odubo Herrera had a pretty bad error in this one, and Suarez did wind up giving up a home run, but you would have Jose Alvarado give up a solo home run while getting just two outs, and Andrew Bellotti gave up a solo home run in his inning of work as for the Atlanta Braves. Nancy Swanson was able to get a sixth home run season. You wound up having one of William Contreras get his seventh home run season at Austin Riley is ninth. You did wind up having Connor Brogdon give up a run in an inning as well. And James Norwood scored a setting, but for the Phillies, also had 10 men left on base. For Herrera, even though he did have that error, he did also have his third home run of the season. He winds up being able to get that off of Charlie Martin, who was not long for this game, giving up four runs over the course of four and a third innings, but bullpen was able to come through in spades. Colin McHugh was able to give you two scoreless innings, and he wound up getting two and two-thirds scoreless out of Spencer Strider, who has become a good long guy for this team. Not a lot of offense from the Box Bombers, but pitching was there for them. 2-0. to zero. They were able to get the job done against the Baltimore Orioles, an Orioles team that they had covered 9 out of their last 11 games on the run line, and for the Orioles, just flat out nothing doing in this one. 9 men left on base, 0 of 9 with men in scoring position, and for Tyler Wells, not a bad start. Gives up two runs over the course of five innings. Joy Creeble along with Marcos Deplan were able to give you a scoreless inning, coupled with Logan Gillespie as well, but for the Yankees, J.P. Sears, first career start, looked amazing, and this guy was actually very good at the minor league level prior to the Citadel. Five scoreless innings. From there, you get two scoreless out of Ron Maranaco. Hopefully I'm saying that one correctly. And then Lucas Luque, Miguel Castro, both give you a scoreless setting before Clay Holmes, who's been nasty out of this Yankees bullpen. 0-38 ERA was able to get a save. He was able to shut the door for them. The Cincinnati Reds are now 10-8 in their last 18 games. They wind up getting a win against the Chicago Cubs. 4-3 the final for the Cubs at Professor Kyle Hendricks. Gives up four runs over the course of four innings, including a gopher bomb as Joey Votto has come back off of injury, and he's looked very solid. Second home run season, had a triple in this game as well. You did wind up having Daniel Norris give you two scoreless settings. Michael Givens, Rowan Wick, both give you a scoreless setting out of the bullpen. And we're going to be talking about this with Alex Crow. the fact that the offense has been very sketchy recently for the Cubs, but the bullpen has been solid. And then you did wind up having the Cubs offense go 2 of 11 with men in scoring position as Luis Castillo was able to give you five innings, giving up two runs, and then a Reds bullpen that has not necessarily been so great. They got scoreless innings out. Tony Santillan, Alexis Diaz, and Art Warren. Hunter Strickland made things interesting, giving up a run in his inning, but did just enough to be able to hold down the fort and get the win. The Oakland A's were able to tag Robbie Ray in this one as they wind up getting a 4-2 win for the Oakland A's. 
pair of home runs in this one. Elvis Andrews, third of the campaign. Seth Brown is fifth as those both come off of Mr. Ray, who gives up three runs over the course of six innings. Not looking like a guy that should have won a Cy Young last year. Now has a 475 ERA. Diego Castillo was able to give you a scoreless inning, coupled with Andres Munoz, and then did have a run and an inning given up by Paul Sewell for the Mariners. So just not a lot doing in offense. Paul Blackburn, another win. He's now 5 0 with a buck 70 ERA, and in this one he was right around like a buck 5,500 dog. Five and a third inning scoreless might be one of the most undervalued pitchers out there in the big leagues. AJ Puck, Zach Jackson, both gave up a run in an inning. So. Puck's ERA shoots all the way up to a 0.95, but Danny Jimenez scoreless inning. He gets a save. Now a 0.49 ERA for him and Lou Trevino. Pair of outs out of the bullpen. So Oakland able to get it done as well. And you'll notice that we did wind up seeing quite a few unders in Major League Baseball on Wednesday. And overall, if you take a look at the last seven days, it's been a little bit more topsy-turvy with regards to these totals, but it's been pretty close to 50-50. 42 overs to 41 unders, so things have been ironing out a little bit there in recent days. Underdogs have had a little bit of a rough go of it. 34 and 52 straight up, and if you take a look at the entirety of the season, underdogs hang right around 40% of the time. Favorites, 386 and 258, but among these favorites that have been winning, not as many on the run line with the low-scoring nature of the season. One or five times, the favorite has won by approximately one run, and obviously home favorites, they've had a little bit more of a rough time of it as home favorites, 248 and 171 straight up, but with regards to covering the run line, 80 of these 248 wins have come by one run, and overall for this season, 53.5% of games have gone under the total, 326 under, 283 over. So that's what we're all seeing in Major League Baseball right now, and that's what we wound up seeing on Wednesday. Now, let's take a look at the National League Central, along with the Chicago Cubs, with my good friend from college, Alex Crow, who's doing terrific work over there at 620 WGMJ, the official flagship station of the Milwaukee Brewers. We're going to be chatting with him next, right here on the Baseball Betting Show, with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the Decent Family Podcast. Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball, this is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Decent Family Podcast and it is great to be joined by our guests as this man is doing a great job over there at 620 WTMJ. That is the official flagship station of the Milwaukee Brewers. And predictably, this man is a big, giant Chicago Cubs fan. So this is going to be a lot of fun as we've got Alex Kerr on the show. He does a great job taking a look at everything that we've got out there in the great state of Wisconsin. And on top of that, the National League Central as well. And to be able to follow him on Twitter, that is at Alex Crow and then the number 38 all together. And Alex Great to have you aboard. Thank you. Thanks for the introduction, Greg. It's great to be here. And yeah, 620, not only the flagship station of the Milwaukee Brewers, but also of the uh, Milwaukee Bucks. Unfortunately, they're already out of it. So we are, uh, we're full steam ahead with the Brewers coverage now. Yes, sir, we are. And unfortunately, we cannot talk about a perhaps back-to-back for the Milwaukee Bucks, but we certainly can talk about what we're going to be getting out there in the NL Central. And mentioned it, you're a man that you follow the Chicago Cubs very closely. And Right now, they're in a series with the Cincinnati Reds, so this is a very good opportunity for them to be able to get some wins. We're right now doing this as the Wednesday game is in progress between they and the Reds, but with regards to Chicago Cubs, sort of what are you looking at for the entirety of the rest of the season? Because right now, they're 18-24. and 24. I think a lot of people would have expected 
sort of the start, but I do take a look at the Chicago Cubs team, and we've seen some moments of brightness, especially from the bullpen, which has been much better than expected. I just feel like the offense, there are times where it actually looks really, really good, but I would say about 75% of the time, it's just off, and those random 25% of the times, it's just super good, which makes it look a little bit more average of what it is. Yeah, and I think that uh, we both had a little bit of recency bias as well, right, because it certainly helps when you play a team like the Cincinnati Reds, who statistically are the worst team in baseball. I mean, coming into it, they made it very clear what their intention was this season. They were they were not going to try and compete this year. And the Pittsburgh Pirates as well, the Cubs have also played the Diamondbacks a lot. And, you know, maybe towards the middle part of May, they had a bit of a skid there against the Diamondbacks. But recently, as of late, namely Frank Schwindel, who was uh, sent down for a little while and then came back up and Frank the Tank has certainly turned it on with uh, four home runs within the last couple of weeks. We also have Patrick Wisdom, who's been, you know, really the offensive juggernaut for the Cubs this year. He's leading the team in RBIs and has really been picking up for some of the injuries the Cubs have been facing so far this season. I really think that the way that their offense is picking up, it helps that you're playing the Reds. They're going to have Fox, that little crosstown classic action you're going to have. And they, of course, lost both games they played against the White Sox earlier this year, so that won't be the easiest. Plus, you still have the St. Louis Cardinals, and like you mentioned at the top, the Milwaukee Brewers, who are still leading the NL Central. Yeah, it's been good to be able to take a look at the Milwaukee Brewers right now, but I do have a little bit of a fear that when the Brewers wind up having to play more games outside the NL Central, it might be a little bit rough. They wound up having a very nice three-game series against the Padres, in which they held them to a combined two runs, the final 18 innings of that series. So certainly came through in droves there. But I do take a look at this Brewers team, and I feel like their offensive numbers have just been a little bit artificially inflated, especially by those series against the Cincinnati Reds. But playing against the Pirates, playing against the Cubs so much, I still have my concerns with this Brewers offense. No doubt pitching. Some of the best you're going to find in the big leagues. You know that Brandon Woodruff is going to be able to pick it up. Freddie Peralta's banged up, but you get him back to 100%. The team will be fine along with Corbin Burns, Josh Hader at the back end. No question. It's very solid, but I'm not sure about you, but I just still have a few question marks when it comes to this Brewers offense itself. Yeah, I mean, that has been their biggest question mark throughout the past few seasons, right? Especially when it gets late into the year, their inability to put runs on the scoreboard. I do think that We also have to look at who else is in the division, though, right, and not just say, sure, they beat up on the bad teams like the Reds and the Pirates and, of course, my Chicago Cubs. But there are some players on those teams that are all doing pretty well, maybe better than some people would have expected, namely the Chicago Cubs. And they may have a bit of a fire sale coming up in the the trade deadline time. I know it's pushed back a little bit this year. And trade deadline time approaches, the Cubs have a couple of pitchers who could be on that trade block. They have a couple of guys, namely Wilson Contreras, on the offensive side of the ball who could be on the trade block as well. And all of a sudden, you're looking at a shell of a team when it comes to late in the year. It seems you're going to be able to play some ball games again, in addition to the Reds and the Pirates. You just control what you can control. And, and the Brewers have obviously been bitten by the injury bug, like everybody else. That Freddie Peralta injury is really going to come back. But they will get him back later in the season, they at least hope. So they're just going to have to uh, ride this one out and, and keep beating up on uh, the bad team in the division. Yeah, and I think that it is going to be so interesting to see how the St. Louis Cardinals and the Milwaukee Brewers play themselves throughout the season. As we do have Alex Crow joining me right here on the podcast. It's a great job over there at 620 WTMJ. And it feels like we just always talk about the St. Louis Cardinals every single year being just sort of in that pocket of winning. Between 81 and 89 games, we're about the same age, and 
if you told me that every single year I've been on earth, the St. Louis Cardinals have won no fewer than 80 games and no more than 90 games, I would completely believe you because every single year, the St. Louis Cardinals, they're right there. They are not going to go out there. They're not going to win under games. They're not going to do anything flashy. But every single time you write this team off, they're just always right there. And I take a look at the Cardinals this year, and I sort of think that it is going to be what it is because right now going into Thursday, 24 and 19 are the St. Louis Cardinals on sort of that high 80s win trajectory at this point. And I just sort of think that that's where the St. Louis Cardinals are. They probably need a little bit of hope with regards to starting pitching, but I've been highly impressed by the bats thus far this season and bullpen hasn't necessarily been great, but it's been good enough in my opinion to get them into playoff contention. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think the Cardinals are always in playoff contention just by nature of what you said before being the St. Louis Cardinals. They're always going to be right around 500, usually a little bit better and putting themselves, especially this year with the wild card, they're definitely going to be putting themselves in contention for the playoffs. I think the Cardinals will be a playoff team. I think the way it looks right now, probably it's going to be between them and the Milwaukee Brewers. I mean, let's face it. We can sit here and talk about different scenarios, but the Reds are not going to be competing. The Pirates are not going to be competing. And even if the Cubs players started continuing on this hot streak that they're on right now, management would get involved and they would trade all of those players and the Cubs would not be competitive when it came time to the end of the season as well. So we really are looking at basically a two-team fight as they continue on here between the St. Louis Cardinals and the Milwaukee Brewers in the division. It's going to come down to who can stay healthy. And, you know, really frankly, for the Brewers, can they put enough runs on the board to supplement what their pitching is doing? And for the St. Louis Cardinals, can that bullpen stay healthy? I know the Cardinals are going to put those runs on the board. I do think that when it comes to this race as well, just taking a look at health is going to be big as well because Jack Flaherty has not thrown at all for the St. Louis Cardinals this year. We mentioned it with the Brewers, the fact that they're dealing with a little bit of an ailment to Freddie Peralta as well. Now, you take a look at the Cincinnati Reds, and Mike Miner has a throw this year. Too bad the Cincinnati Reds, their season was over before it even started. So that was a little bit unfortunate for them. But I do think that when it comes down to this divisional race, I think that the Brewers certainly should have a leg up with it. But Brewers are dealing with a couple of injuries right now, like I mentioned to Freddie Peralta. And then on top of that, you're able to throw in their Willie Adamas as well, one of their top bats. And I think that that's going to be just, just such a key part of it as well, because we all remember what the St. Louis Cardinals did last year. They were a team that looked like they were going to be on the outside looking in with regards to the postseason. They had everyone healthy towards the back half of the season, though. From there, they wind up making that 17-game win streak. They wind up being able to go to the wild card game and, very nearly took down the Dodgers and that wild card game. So I think it's going to be really key to see how these guys wind up coming along with their rehab. And for the Cardinals, just getting back out there, a guy like a Jack Flaherty to be able to help out that starting rotation. Yeah, and it also comes down to the coaching staff that you have in there, right? This is where that really comes into play. What sort of strength and conditioning programs do you have into place? Chicago White Sox, Tony La Russa pushing these guys every single game for the entire season. Or do you have a coach who's going to be a little more laid off and give these guys some veteran rest days and kind of build in and based on what their schedule is? And like I mentioned before, for a lot of the teams in the NL Central, more than half, there's going to be a fire sale coming if any of these players start punching above their weight class. Wilson and Contreras arbitration hanging above the Cubs head right now. And I mean, just imagine how difficult that must be as a player going out there every single day and trying to compete, fighting through ailments and still catching while also training the guy who's coming in to take your job and also going to arbitrate your current team and them fighting saying, you know, here's why you don't deserve $1.5 million that you're asking for. So there's 
a lot of stuff happening in the division right now that is outside of what is going on with the Brewers and the St. Louis Cardinals. So as long as they can control those injuries and they can continue, you know, finding ways to hit the baseball, just putting a few runs on the board, they'll make the playoffs at the end of the season. And I'm so glad that you bring up the fact that we probably are going to be seeing a lot of teams out there in the Central wind up making deals, as we do have Alex Crow joining me on the podcast. Because right now, when it comes to the Cubs, you mentioned at the fire sale that they wound up having last year. Wilson Contreras, along Kyle Hendricks, are pretty much the last of the Mohicans for the Cubs from when they wound up winning the World <laughs> Series a few seasons ago. No doubt there are two guys that are going to be taking a look at it. And when it comes to the Cubs, do you expect that they might flip another guy like an Ian app? Or is there maybe a guy or two that you think that the Cubs might look to build around and be sort of that cornerstone for a future? Because the other guy that I think is so fascinating is Patrick Wisdom, guy that wound up entering into Wednesday with a double-digit amount of homers. But I don't think I've ever seen a guy with quite as high of a strikeout rate as Patrick Wisdom either. I mean, the guy has punched out 60 times in 39 games as far this season. He is on pace to really set a lot of records if he's with the Cubs for a few seasons. It's been Interesting to take a look at that, but what do you think the Cubs are going to wind up doing? Because I agree with you. I think that Contreras is probably going to be out there on the training block, but you have some interesting pieces and a guy like a Hap and a Wisdom that they wound up being able to pick it up towards the end of the season. And you got to figure that one or two of these guys are going to be left for a rebuild, and there's going to be a few others that they wind up getting shipped out for prospects. Yeah, I think Wilson is absolutely going to be gone, right? And he's been playing pretty well so far this season, at least better that a lot of people expected. So they might be able to get a haul for him. There's also been some interest in some of the, the pitchers, believe it or not, Marcus Stroman, who they just brought in in the offseason. There have been some reporters who are saying that uh, there have been some calls coming in asking about Marcus Stroman because of his tradable contract. And, you know, he has slowly started to put it together. He's been shaky at times, but he's starting to put things together. And who knows if uh, the right team comes along, you might be able to package. So they have quite a bit of, uh, you know, pitching power. And we know that those arms are always going to be in high demand when we get later on in the season, teams start dealing with injuries and things like that. Yeah. You asked about building around centerpieces for the Chicago Cubs. And Ed Howard is a guy who's been in their farm system coming up. He's a young guy. He's going to be out for the remainder of the season, but they say he should be back for the start of next year. So, should still be on track to make the majors within the next couple of years. And guys who are right along that age line, and that's how long we're going to be waiting for. It feels like, you know, back to the 2010, 2011 days where before they were competitive for a number of years, and the only guy you had to look forward to seeing play was Sterling Castro and then eventually Anthony Rizzo. The Cubs do have Christopher Morrell, who, you know, hit a home run in his first big league at bat. That was electric, and it was really, really fun to watch. And Brandon Hughes, who got five punch-outs in his first start as a big league pitcher. So they have a few guys who are stepping up. It's fun to see. But, uh, you know, with this with this Ricketts ownership, you never know because there's a budget. And once guys get too expensive or start playing well and they hit arbitration, the Cubs are much more willing to ship them off to somewhere else than they are to pay their players. Yep, it's been so interesting to take a look at the Cubs this year. To your point, like what I've seen out of Morrell, he has been able to come up and he's been able to do a solid job. Cubs wound up signing C.A. Suzuki as well to a relatively big contract. He's come over from the MPB. Home run rate has slowed down a little bit, but he's certainly been able to do a solid job of being able to get on base. And then, like I mentioned with Patrick Wisdom, great home run hitter. Also tremendous at being able to get strikeouts. So that is going to be very interesting to watch moving forward. And the good news for the Cubs is, at the very least, they didn't wind up trading for Chris Archer and gave away three really, really good players 
to get Chris Archer, who would then, 36 months later, side with the Tampa Bay Rays. So the Cubs will always forever be able to say, we didn't do that. And what we did wind up doing on this podcast is got a great guest on because Alex, you're doing great work over there at 620 WTMJ. And I know that you're covering a wide variety of things right now. I know that you do a little sports. I know that you wind up doing quite a bit of news as well. This goes on and on. And you guys over there at 620 WTMJ, you mentioned it. You covered everything. You guys are the flagship station of the Milwaukee Brewers. But on top of that, the Milwaukee Bucks, Green Bay Packers, you guys cover everything Wisconsin. So love the good people at home. Nor they're able to follow you on social media and just what you've all got going on in general. Yeah, at AlexCrow38 is uh, the Twitter handle. That's where you can check it out. And our website is WTMJ.com. Nice and easy. You can also download the mobile app at the Bucks. Got the early exit. But uh, we're, we're in full swing Brewers coverage for the summer, man. It's been cool. Yep, it certainly is. And you know what? Even though the Milwaukee Bucks did not wind up winning the title this year, they got one last year. That's more <laughs> than what I could say for the Green Bay Packers the last 10 years. Who Every single year, it looks very good for them to be able to finally make it back to the Super Bowl for the first time since I was a senior in high school. Every single time they find a way to blow it, this year it was a block punt. So at the very least, Milwaukee Bucks did not wind up ripping out my soul in quite that fashion. And I know that Alex does a great job taking a look at a little bit of everything out there in the great state of Wisconsin and always delivers the kids when he's on this podcast. So big thanks, Alex, for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Show, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Coming up next, it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Thursday as we touch them all. Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball. This is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson. Now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. was great to be able to get Alex Kerr on the podcast. He does great work with 620 WTMJ out there in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which is the flagship station of the Milwaukee Brewers, and he's a diehard Cubs fan, so always great to be able to get him aboard. I went to college with him for four years. He always provides tremendous insights and always brings that whenever he joins this podcast. So big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Thursday as we touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at GUnit underscore 81. As per usual, we are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we go with the National League games first, then the American League games, and any interleague games would be at the bottom. We do not have any interleague games for today, so that'll keep things all nice, neat, clean, and easy there, so... How about if we wind up starting with that first National League game of 901-902 on the bang board? The Chicago Cubs hit the road faceoff against the Cincinnati Reds. Talked about this game with Alex as we've got Hunter Green going for the Red Legs and Justin Steele on the bump for the Cubs. Cubs, very slight favorites. Anywhere between minus 110 and minus 113. Meanwhile, with the Red Legs, finding them as bad as minus 110, as good as a plus 103. Total on this game is 8.5, over is minus 120, and the under is even. Got yourself a guy in under green that he throws 100 miles per hour, but throws it right down the middle, and he winds up giving up a lot of hard contact, and Justin Steele has been someone that has not necessarily had the world's greatest command, so 
I did wind up saying the total at a 9.1 as a result. I'm looking under with Steele. Good news is he has given up one home run in 33 innings this year, so he's kept the ball in the yard. He has been able to deliver a little bit over 10 strikeouts for nine innings, but I talk about the command right around 4.6, 4.7 walks per nine innings. On the road, has been halfway decent, 338 ERA. And then you take a look at the flip side, Fronter Green, and he's just been getting shelled regardless of if it's, if it's been at home or on the road. Now, the good news is he has given up two earned runs or fewer in each out of his previous three starts, but the team has lost each out of his last seven starts, so they have covered the run line in two out of the last three, so he has been improving, and one of those games was the game in which he gave up zero hits, but wound up having a few walks, and that led to the L thus far this season at home, Fronter Green. Small sample size, only two starts, eight and two-thirds innings, posting up a 519 ERA, so we don't have a lot of intel there, but what we do have intel is that the Cincinnati Reds offense has been a little bit better here down the stretch. They have been playing a few more unders ever since they wound up going on that stretch, in which I believe that they wound up having 16 out of 20 games go over the total. But got a guy in Taylor Naquin who's hitting at 270 for this team. Been able to really get some good production out of Brandon Drury. He's hitting right around 250. He's been able to go yard seven times thus far this season. Then you take a look at Taylor Stevenson. Right around at 360 on base. He's been rock solid for this team as well. They've got Joey Votto back in the fold. It's been a rough season for him, but I think that he and Nick Senzel are going to be able to pick it up. What has really been ghastly for this red team has been the bullpen. Art Warren, Hunter Strickland. These guys have been terrible out there in the pen. Luis Sessa has been a little bit up and down, I will say. Jeff Hoffman, Alexis Diaz, they've been able to get the job done, but for the Cubs, this has actually been one of the better bullpens out there in the National League. You take a look at someone like Scott Efres, who's got a sub-2-5 ERA. He has been tremendous for this team. The long reliever in Keegan Thompson has been incredible with a buck-54 ERA. You never know when you might need him because this could be perhaps a spot for him. Michael Givens, he's been okay at the bullpen right around 3-5-ish ERA, but Rowan Wick has been solid as well. And then you take a look at this lineup, and it has been a little bit up and down, but what you do like is that Patrick Wisdom is able to give you some power now. You'd like to see him strike out in fewer than 40% of his at-bats as entering into what we wound up seeing yesterday. 60 strikeouts and 137 at-bats. That's not too terrific, but 10 home runs, 23 RBI stuff. He's been able to supply the boom. You've had Christopher Morrell hitting right around at 300 for this team. P.J. Higgins has been getting some spots at the catcher spot, and he's been able to do a solid job. Ian App, nearly a 400 on base. E.A. Suzuki, power is down, but his on-base percentage has been rock solid. So I do take a look at this spot, and I like Steele a little bit more than Hunter Green because Green, he's giving up, up nearly a home run every three innings. His walks per nine rate right around five, and the Cubs back up Steele with their better bullpen. So I'm going to lay up to a minus 118 here with the Cubs. Did wind up saying my total at a 9.1, so we wouldn't add a 9. I'd be taking a look at an over in this spot, and I'm going to be taking a look at the Cubs. 9-3, 9-4 on the banging board. The Colorado Rockies hit the road face off against the Washington Nationals. Patrick Corbin is going to be going for the Nats, and one Odeman Marquez is going to be going for Colorado. This is pretty much a pick'em game here with the Nationals. You're finding them anywhere between minus 105, minus 112. With the Rockies, you're finding them anywhere between even money and minus 110 with your total 8.5. Under is minus 115, and the over is minus 105. And got yourself a Colorado Rockies team that's always had their struggles on the road, and I realize that Patrick Corbin has not been able to lead his team to victory once this year. I think that changes. I did wind up saying the Nationals at a minus 107 here. Now with Patrick Corbin, strikeouts per nine rate has been hovering right around eight. Walks certainly have been there right around four walks per nine innings, but you also take a look at Irma Marquez. 6-1-4 ERA, 6-52 on the road. This has been a guy that has really been banged around like a pinata this year. 3-15 batting average for opponents and for the Colorado Rockies. 
They wound up giving up a 10 spot yesterday against the Pittsburgh Pirates. That is ghastly bad. Now, C.J. Crone has been able to put bad to ball 12 home runs, but only three of them have been on the road, and this is a Colorado Rockies team that has a hole. They're hitting right around 50 points lower on the road than they are at home. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Washington Nationals, and this team has not been good at home, to say the least. They wound up entering into yesterday 5-17 and 17 in their home games, but... You do have Juan Soto, who still does a very solid job of being able to get on base for this team. He's only been able to hit home runs. I do think that that is going to be able to turn around a little bit more for this bunch. You've been able to have quite a few guys like Akiba Ruiz, Cesar Hernandez, Josh Bell, be able to at least at 274 for this team. That has been helpful. Josh Bell, 380 on base as well. Nelson Cruz is starting to pick it up. He wound up having a multi-hit game yesterday. So you have seen some nice signs there for the Colorado Rockies. This team is dead last in the league with regards to bullpen. Ari Daniel Bart is just so much better at home than he is on the road. Justin Lawrence has certainly had his ups and his downs this season. Carlos Estevez has been okay. And I will say Alex Calame does wind up upgrading the bullpen a little bit, but still not one that you want to be trusting in them for the Washington Nationals. Tanner Rainey is right now their closer, and he's got an ERA that is hovering right around three this year. Last year it was right around a seven-ish, so that's not necessarily ideal. You got a guy in Kyle Finnegan who just has not been very good for the team in general. Victor Arano is getting pushed into some high-pressure situations that he honestly does not wind up belonging in. So both of these bullpens, relatively untrustworthy. Got a pair of starting pitchers. They're relatively untrustworthy with ERAs right around a 6. So I did wind up saying my total at a 9.2 and an 8.5 or a 9. I am certainly taking a look at this total over. And when it comes to Nationals, willing to lay up to a minus 107 here, seeing the minus 105 that we currently have on the board. I'm going to be looking at and I'm going to be taking a look at this total over. 905, 906 on the betting board. You've got yourself the Philadelphia Phillies sitting in the red face off against the Atlanta Braves. Kyle Wright hopes to be Mr. Wright for the Bravos. And Aaron Supernola is going to be going for the Philadelphia Phillies. Phillies find themselves anywhere between plus 110 and even. And for the Bravos, it is anywhere between minus 114 and minus 120 with your total between 8 and 8.5 and on the 8.5. Under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Over is between even a minus 105. And on the 8, flip it. Over is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even and minus 105. And in the spot in which I did wind up saying the Atlanta Braves more around a minus 123. So I'm going to be willing to take a shot here on Atlanta. Been very impressed by Kyle Wright. And on top of that, Aaron Nola just throughout his career has had an ERA about a point higher on the road than he's had at home. So he's always had a little bit of an issue whenever he's been away from Philadelphia. And for Nola this year, it's just been a case in which he's given up the deep ball. He's given up right around 1.6, 1.7-ish home runs per nine innings. Swing and miss stuff has actually been very good for Aaron Nola. Just under 11 punch-outs per nine innings, but Kyle Wright also getting just under 11 strikeouts per nine innings, and he's only given up two home runs. You take a look at Kyle Wright and what has really been an X-factor for him this season, he's cut down on the walks. Right around three walks per nine innings, you'd like to see it a little bit lower, but still has been able to do a great job with regards to command and opponents. Hang a buck 79 off of him this season in Atlanta. Ever since he wound up having that good postseason last year, he has really been able to take off. And you do take a look at this Braves team, and got a team that has a collector. They're hitting right around 230. You'd expect a little bit more out of them. One of these guys, they're sort of hovering in that, I would call it 230 to 245 range. Matt Olson, Austin Riley, Marcel Zuna are all in that pocket. Ozzy Albies, Anzi Swanson. Long drives here, no, between a 250 to a 260. And you have, have been able to have Ozuna, Riley give you eight home runs. Getting back around Lacuna Jr. helps as well, but certainly have had their ups and downs. I do think that they're going to be able to bust out a little bit more. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, 
Bryce Harper has had himself a very good year, has been dealing with a couple of ailments, but still hitting above a 300. 10 home runs for Ian Kyle Schwarber, but for Schwarber, only hitting right around 200. On base has been solid, but you'd like to see a little bit more there. And the Phillies, they have liabilities out there in the field because you've seen Alec Bohm just commit so many errors this year. And then on top of that, you've got this bullpen that has not been terrific. Now, I like Corey Knable, I like Brad Ham, but you take a look at some of these guys like a James Norwood, Nick Nelson, they have not been able to do a great job now. Andrew Bellotti's actually been very good for this team, but still, bullpen has not been terrific. Meanwhile, the Atlanta Braves, they've got a top 10 bullpen in terms of VRA. Kenley Jansen has blown a couple saves. That's always a little bit of an issue. Will Smith has had his ups and downs along Darren O'Day, but still have to like what you're able to get out of A.J. Minter. Tyler Madzik has been dealing with a little bit of injury, but some of these long guys, even someone like a Spencer Strider, someone like a Jackson Stevens, they have shown some great promise for the Braves. So I do trust in the bullpen. A little bit more of the Bravos than the Phillies, and for Aaron Nola, I think that his road struggles are going to continue. So I'm going to lay it here with the Atlanta Braves, and when it comes to total, I did wind up setting mine at a 7.7. I do think that both of these teams could have a little bit of a rough time with the bat, and both of these starting pitchers are very good strikeout guys. So I'm going to be taking a look at the under, and I'm going to be taking a look at the Braves. 907-908 on the bang board. The Milwaukee Brewers hit the road face off against the St. Louis Cardinals. Wayno, Adam Wainwright is going to be going for the cards, and you've got Eric Lauer, who's going to be on the bump for Milwaukee. The Cardinals are finding themselves anywhere between minus 115 and minus 125. On the Brewers, it's anywhere between plus 105 and plus 110 with your total 7.5 on the over and the under. You're finding that anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115 juice. And if the Brewers can get up just a few cents here, set them as a plus 112, I would be willing to take a shot here. So we're going to be caging a little bit of line movement. I'm doing this as a couple books have yet to post up openers. And if you're looking at a run line of the St. Louis Cardinals, Find that anywhere between plus 160 and plus 170. So we're sort of in wait and see mode here. When it comes to the Cardinals, I would be willing to lay up to a minus 112 with them as well. So if they wind up getting down a few pennies from like the minus 115-ishes that I'm seeing as well, would be willing to take a shot there. So as of right now, on openers, just a little bit of a wait and see and things will balance out in the AM that will give me my play. But with that said, you do take a look at Eric Lauer. He has been able to do a terrific job for the Brewers thus far this season. A guy that's posting up a 216 ERA. Swing and miss stuff has been incredible for this team. He has given you a little bit over 11 punch outs per nine innings. Wound up only getting five strikeouts in his last start against the Washington Nationals, but in that start against the Nationals, seven scoreless innings, and he's allowed six earned runs over the course of his last five starts three of those being on the road. So he has been very dominant with that regard. And then you take a look at Adam Wainwright. Had a little bit of a rough start to the season, but has been able to pick it up over his last three starts. It combined three runs surrendered in those last three starts. And someone that throughout his career has always been a little bit better at home than he has been on the road. 250 home ERA, 310 road ERA thus far this season. And has done a good job inducing soft contact. Four home runs, give it up in 47 innings. Does need to do a little bit of a better job with the walks. Has allowed 11 walks over his last four starts. I do think that he is going to be able to do a little bit of a better job with that regard. You just take a look at his just career in general, and he has been able to do that. But the big concern here for the Milwaukee Brewers, which is why I really can't set them as a favorite, is that they are dealing with some injuries. Hunter Renfro, Willie Adamas, a pair of guys that have been able to give this team between eight and nine home runs this season. Currently on the injured list. Christian Yelich has still been relatively solid for the team. And Rowdy tell us after he dealt with a little bit of an ailment. He's back hitting right around 245, 9 home runs. That has been rock solid for the team. But we were talking about it with Alex. 
fact that you've got a Brewers team that I just feel like with regards to a lot of their offensive numbers, they are really because they wound up going up against some of the dregs of the league, like the Cincinnati Reds so many times, the Chicago Cubs, and that has artificially inflated their numbers a little bit. You take a look at someone like an Andrew McCutcheon, he's hitting at 242. He's been okay. Omar Narvaez, Colt Wong, they're able to get on base a little bit for you. Both of these guys are north of a 300 on base, but you just take a look at the power numbers, 57 home runs over the course of 43 games. A lot of that is due to the competition, and a lot of that is due to the two guys who are currently on the injured list. And then you take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals, and I've been highly impressed by what they've been able to do thus far this season. As You don't necessarily have a team that's doing a great job with regards to overall power 41 home runs over the course of 43 games, but you do have Nolan Arenado, who's been able to go deep nine times thus far this season. He has been able to do a rock-solid job with that regard, and then you take a little bit of a look past that. You've got Juan Yepes, who has been doing an incredible job of being able to give you a batting average that's hovering right around 300. Brendan Donovan has been able to do some nice work with the bat as well. You've got Yadier Molina, who's been a little bit up and down this season, but even when you've needed Austin Kisner to come in and be able to give you some good at-bats, he's been able to do so as well. And then when you, when you take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals bullpen, you've had your ups and downs with Giovanni Gallegos, but he seems to be figuring it out. Ryan Helsley, Genesis Cabrera, these guys have been really solid. And Andre Pallanti has an ERA that's hovering right around one. So I do have a little bit more faith in this Cardinals team rather than the Brewers who should be getting back Josh Hader who wound up missing the Padres series due to a little bit of a personal issue, but you do want to be checking in on that. Devin Williams has been used in three straight days. Brad Boxberger wound up coming out of the bullpen yesterday. So you're going to be left with a few less than trustworthy guys for the Milwaukee Brewers like a Brent Suter out of the bullpen as well, which is why I do need more like a plus 112 with the Brewers. If they were fully healthy, I'd probably have them as a little bit of a favorite, but but as it stands right now, in a little bit of wait and see mode, we'll lay up to a minus 112 with the Cardinals. If I get north of a plus 112 with the Brewers, I'm going to be willing to take a shot there. And then with regards to the total, set it at a 7.2. So looking at an under and currently waiting for a little bit of juice to balance with regards to the play on either the Brewers or the Cardinals. 909-910 on the bang board. Got yourself the Arizona Diamondbacks playing us the LA Dodgers. Mitch White is going to be going for the Dodgers. And Humberto Cassianos is going to be on the bump for Arizona. Arizona's find themselves as a a pretty sizable underdog in the spot. Anywhere between plus 150 and plus 165. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the Dodgers, it's anywhere between minus 170 and minus 189. 9.5 is your total on the 9.5 over and under, both at minus 110. On the 9 over is anywhere between minus 120 to minus 125. The under is anywhere between even and minus 105. Seeing a plus 105 out there as well. And when it comes to Arizona, was willing to take a shot on them as long as I was getting north of a plus 155. Seeing the 165 that we've gotten on the board recently. I'm going to be willing to take a shot here with Umberto Cassianos. Not a guy that is going to throw any sort of a wipeout fastball. Not a guy that is going to wind up getting like 12 punch-outs per nine innings or anything like that, but a pretty steady force that has done a good job of not giving out a bunch of free passes. Nine walks in 35 and two-thirds innings, so right around 2.3 walks per nine innings. He has given up five home runs in 35 and two-thirds innings, but you take a look at Mitch White, and when he wound up going out there for his start against the Philadelphia Phillies, he got seven outs and he gave up three runs, was a little bit rough there. Now, he has shown some moments of brilliance in his career with the LA Dodgers, but just in a little bit more of a starting role. He has not been able to get the job done now with the LA Dodgers. They have been able to rest up their bullpen in recent days, so guys like a Craig Kimbrell should be good to go in this one. Danny Hudson is someone that has come back for this team. He's someone that you're able to rely upon quite a bit as well, and 
when it comes to this Dodgers team as well. It's been a case in which, aside from yesterday where they got completely shut out, the bats have been able to come alive as well. Mookie Betts wanted a pinch hitting yesterday, so he was not in the starting lineup. He should be back for this one. He, Trey Turner, along with Freddie Freeman, only between a 289 and a 297 with Betts. Right now leading the team with a double-digit amount of homers. Edwin Rios, Chris Taylor, Gavin Lux, along with Anser Alberto, only between about a 244 to a 254. So these guys have been solid. Justin Turner, Max Muncy, Cody Bellinger, they've struggled a little bit, but still a very good offense. And then you take a look at the flip side for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Currently dead last in the National League with regards to batting average, but you've certainly had some guys being able to supply the boom for this team. Christian Walker, 11 home runs thus far this season. Dalton Varsho, he's got right around 340 on base. He's been able to go deep eight times as well. Kitar Marte of the Marte Parte, sitting at 250. So that has been very beneficial. And for the Diamondbacks overall, 56 home runs in 45 games. A little bit inflated by that series that we wound up seeing against the Chicago Cubs about a week ago, but with regards to the Diamondbacks as well. When you're able to avoid Mark Blanson, this is not a terrible bullpen. Ian Kennedy has been able to do a good job being able to give you some solid innings. You've got Joe Manatipoli with a 0.51 ERA for the team. Kyle Nelson has a sub 1.4 ERA as well. So you've actually had some trustworthy guys out there with Mitch White. I just don't think that he's going to be long for this game. So I did wind up setting the Arizona Diamondbacks at a plus 156. So now that we've been able to cross that threshold, we'll take a plus price here. Set my total at a 9.2 as well. Seeing the 9.5s coming on the board, I do think that this has gotten a little bit too lofty because I do think that the Dodgers are going to be able to mix and match with regards to this bullpen. And it is a Diamondback team that is still dead last with regards to the National League in batting average. So, going to be taking a look at an under, and I'm going to be taking a look at Arizona. 9-11, 9-12 on the bank board. The New York Yankees are going to be in the road to face off against the Tampa Bay Rays. One, Nestor Cortez is going to be going for the Yankees and for the Tampa Bay Rays. Right now, it's to be determined as to whether or not Ryan Yarbrough is going to be a starter or if he's going to be utilized as a bulk guy. Right now, I've got Ryan Yarbrough as a starter, and if he does wind up getting the start against Nestor Cortez, I'd be setting the Yankees at a minus 119, so I'd need at least a plus 120 to take a shot here on the Rays, and we'll be setting my toilet at 8.3, where an 8 or less will be looking over 8.5 or higher to the under, but this is subject to a little bit of change. This is currently something that is off the board, so just want to let you guys know that, but when it comes to Nestor Cortez, this guy has been flat out nasty all season long. His strikeouts per nine rate, it is at an 11. He's giving out just 2.2 walks per nine as well. It's looked a little bit more mortal recently. Didn't mind giving up three runs in that start against the Chicago White Sox, but this guy currently in four starts on the road. Buck 64 ERA opponent starting just a 220 off of him. He's done a good job of being able to just keep the free passes down, and for the Yankees, they are going to probably need a little bit of length because this has been a bull Open that it has been dealing with some ailments. Aroldis Chapman has been dealing with an Achilles injury. Chad Green wound up having Tommy John surgery. You've just had, in general, a guy, Jonathan Lewisko, who was so good last year, not be able to give you good production. Michael King seems to be starting to get hit a little bit more as well, so that is a little bit of an issue, though Miguel Castro, Wadi Peralta have been very solid. And for the Tampa Bay Rays, this is a team that they do a great job of being able to mix and match. We have seen a couple times this season where Yarbrough has started, but in, in ahead of him has been Jalen Beeks as like a one or two any bulk guy. He is someone that has been terrific in that role. Buck 45 ERA, Colin Pooch, Brooks Raley. These guys have sub 2-5 ERAs. You have JP Fire Eisen who entering into what we wound up seeing yesterday had yet to give up an earned run all season long. So these guys have been tremendous. And for the Rays, it can be a little bit topsy-turvy when it comes to this lineup. But you got to feel like these guys are going to be able to do a relatively solid job of being able to reach base. Randy Odorizarena after a really tough start to the season. He's not got his batting average back above a 260. 
E. Wander Franco along with Kevin Kiermeyer on that 255 to 265 range. Kiermeyer has six home runs, which actually leads the team, though. I will say one of those and inside the park home run, but he's been able to pick it up a little bit with that regard. Yandy has a 400 on base. Brandon Lau still stuck on five home runs. You need to see he along with Mike Zanino give you a little bit more power, but these guys have been able to do a solid job of them for the New York Yankees. You've got yourself a trio of guys in Aaron Judge throwing their John Carlos Sand and Anthony Rizzo that have just been a trio of mashers for this team. A combined 39 home runs between the three of these guys. I mean, most teams right now, they're sitting at 39 to 40 home runs as a collective. Judge is 17 home runs, like 75% of what the Detroit Tigers have as a team right now. He has been absolutely tremendous. All three of these guys, at least a 339 on base as well. DJ LeMayu, Isaiah Kinnear-Falefa, they've dipped a little bit with their batting average, but Josh Allenson, Glaber Torres, both of these guys now hitting right around 240. Torres really went berserk in that series against the Orioles, being able to pound a couple home runs there. Jose Trevino has been able to give you a little bit of something at the catcher spot as well. So for that reason, if we do wind up getting Yarbrough as a starter against Esther Cortez, set the Yankees at a minus 119, would probably be willing to go a little bit less with regards to that price if Yarbrough is utilized as a bulk guy because Ryan Yarbrough coming out of the bullpen through his career more than a full point lower on his ERA than as a starter, so that is something to note. But if we do wind up getting Yarbrough versus Cortez, eight or less looking over eight and a half, or I are going to be taking a look at an under end right now, setting the Yankees at a minus 119. 9-13, 9-14 on the bang board. The Detroit Tigers are going to be playing off to the Cleveland Guardians. Right now, it is to be determined for the Guardians. Tariq Skubal currently listed up on the betting board for the Detroit Tigers. So, we currently have no numbers for this game with the TBD situation for the Guardians. If it does wind up being Aaron Savali, I am seeing him currently as the listed starter on ESPN.com. I would be setting the Tigers at a minus 113, and I'd be making my total at 7.2, where a 7 or less, I'd be looking at an over and a 7.5 or higher. I would be taking a look at an under and. When it comes to Aaron Savali, he was getting really lucky last season. He's gotten a little bit unlucky this season. Last start that he wound up having against the Tigers was by far his best start of the year. As a matter of fact, it is the only out of his seven starts thus far this season in which he's a lot fewer than four runs. So, I mean, he's only got up to go from here as his ERA is currently a 784 after that start. I do think that the Tigers are going to be able to hit him around a little bit more even though they have been dead last in the league with regards to runs per game at right around 2.8. But take a look at Tariq Skubal. They wind up having to leave his last start a little bit earlier due to a injury that he wound up sustaining. He wound up getting hit by a line drive from all indications so, seems like it was just a little bit of a bruise. Should not wind up worrying you too much in this one. And that's big because Tariq Skubal, in his last three starts, he has went a combined 18 innings, giving up zero runs. And the big thing for Skubal is last year he was giving up two home runs per nine innings. He has not allowed that hard contact thus far this season. Two bombs given up in 44 and two-thirds innings. His walks per nine rate is 1.6. His strikeouts per nine, a little bit north of 10, and he's backed up by a top eight bullpen in the big leagues with regards to ERA. But able to get very good innings out of Michael Fulmer, Andrew Chafin, Gregory Soto is a closer that sometimes could be a little bit erratic, but still a relatively trustworthy guy there. You've been able to get some very good production out of guys like Joe Jimenez and company. And then you take a look at the Guardians. Emmanuel Classe is one of the most filthy pitchers that you're going to find out there in the big leagues. And Trevor Stevens, he's got himself a sub-3 ERA. Brian Shaw has been a little bit up and down, but by and large, relatively solid bullpen in their own right. But you do take a look at this Cleveland Guardians team, and 
Right now, you just need to get a little bit more production outside of Jose Ramirez, who has been amazing for this team. Entered into Wednesday with 11 home runs, 43 RBI, 386 on base. And you do have guys that are able to get on base for this team. Andre Jimenez, he has been able to hit right around at 290 for this bunch. You've got yourself Josh Naylor, Stephen Kwan, along with Miles Straw, all with between an on-base percentage of 345 and a 370, entering into what we wound up seeing on Wednesday. But Framio Reyes has been hitting right around the Mendoza line. His power is way down amid Rosario, Ernie Clement. These guys have been a little bit all over the place with regards to the infield as well. And for the Detroit Tigers, I mean, this is just a hot mess of an offense. They were able to get the job done yesterday. But you take a look at these guys. You've right now got... Derek Hill, Johnson Scope, Javi Baez, Jamie Arcandelario, Spencer Torkelson, Eric Haas, Des Cameron. Currently all hitting a 224 lower end. Really the only guy that's hitting above a 210 is Derek Hill at a 224. So that's a little bit awful. Eric Castro being able to hit a pair of home runs yesterday and now hitting a 300. That is a sign of life for the scene. But need to get a little bit more on offense. I do think that Aaron Savali is a good elixir for that. So I did wind up saying my total at a 7.2 in this spot. If we do wind up getting Scooble against Savali. So a 7 or less would be looking over 7.5 or higher to the under end. If we get Scooble versus Savali, making the Tigers minus one. 13 on the money line. 9-15, 9-16 on the betting board. We can't see Royals hit the red face off against the Minnesota Twins. Devin Smeltzer is going to be going for the Twins and Daniel Lynch is going to be on the bump for the Royals. The Royals are finding themselves as a little bit of an underdog here. Anywhere between minus 155 and minus 168. So that's a little bit more than a little bit of an underdog. And for the Minnesota Twins, anywhere between minus 170 and minus 185 is your price. 7.5 to 8 is your total on 7.5. Or is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 125 the under is anywhere between minus 105 and plus 105, seeing a straight 8 out there as well. On the 8, under is minus 115, and the over is minus 105, and when it comes to Lynch and company, need at least a plus 173 to be able to take a shot here. Don't really want a piece of the money line here, but if you're looking at the run line, I'm finding it's anywhere between a plus 110 to a plus 120. As long as I'm able to get that plus 110 or greater, I'm going to be willing to take a shot here on the Minnesota Twins. This is a case in which I do think that Devin Smeltzer has really been able to find it at the big league level, wound up having a couple cups of coffee in recent years, wound up being able to get a few starts here this season, and thus far, he's been able to look very solid. He's wound up going 10 and a third innings across his two starts, buck 73 ERA. Now, these two starts were against the Royals and the Guardians, so not necessarily monsters of the midway, but once again, you get to face off against Kansas City Royals. Good confidence booster for a guy in Spelser that... Doesn't necessarily get a lot of swing and miss throughout his career at the big league level, right around 6.4 strikeouts per nine innings. And for that matter, only two strikeouts in his two starts thus far this season, but does a good job of being able to keep the ball in the yard. Meanwhile, you take a look at Daniel Lynch, and he's given up only four home runs in 33 and two-thirds innings. His walks per nine rate is a little bit north of four. He does need to work on that, but on the road this year, 360 ERA across his four starts. Opponents are right around 237 off of him. His swing and miss stuff has not been bad. He's registering right around eight and a half strikeouts per nine innings. Problem is, this is a Royals offense that they were able to get going a little bit more against the Arizona Diamondbacks, and to the surprise of, I'm sure, many, you've got a Royals team that all of a sudden has played each other last six games to the over. MJ Melendez, who is filling in for Salvador Perez at the catcher spot, he's actually been really good. He's been able to hit right around a 260. He's given the team a trio of home runs for Perez. He did have six home runs prior to getting injured, but was hitting a 206. And that's really been an issue for the Royals because this is a team that they know they're not going to hit for a lot of power. But Perez, whenever he's been in there, along with Ryan O'Hearn, Carlos Santana, throwing their Nicky Lopez, Whit Merrifield, Bobby Witt Jr., all these guys hitting a 222 or lower. 
It's been a big issue for this team under Dozier, though. It's been a way to right around 270. Andrew Benatendi has been terrific. How about a 325 batting average for this gentleman? So that has been very heartening. But what has been disheartening for the Royals has been this has been a team that has been dead last in the American League in terms of bullpen ERA this season. And you just expected more out of this bullpen as you do have Josh Shamont, who I've always been high on. He's got a 4-3 ERA. Don Coleman north of a 4 ERA. Amir Garrett didn't like the signing to start with. He's got a 4-6 ERA. Colin Snyder he's got a north of 5 ERA. Taylor Clark just lights games on fire. This has not been too terrific. Jake Brands dealing with an injury. And for the Minnesota Twins, this has been one of the better bullpens out there in the big leagues. Griffin Jacks has been very good in long relief. Emilio Pagan, Joe Smith. These guys have been terrific with sub-2 ERAs for both of those gentlemen. Danny Columbi, whenever he's been out there, has been able to do a solid job as well. So I do have a little bit of faith in Smeltzer being able to cover this run line. And I'm actually seeing a plus 122 at Circa with regards to the run line. All the better in this case because I do think that the Twins are going to be able to do a good job of holding down a Royals team that they've gotten a little bit hotter with the bat recently. I don't think that it's going to be withstanding. So I did wind up setting this total at a 7.4. I'm going to be taking a look at it under in the spot and the Twins on the run line. 917-918 is going to be the DK Nation pick as got the Boston Red Sox in the red face off against the Chicago White Sox. Dallas Keuchel goes for the White Sox and Michael Waka is going to be on the bump for Boston. Boston is finding themselves very slight underdogs. Anywhere between minus 110 to a plus 102. Meanwhile, if you're looking at Chicago, you're going to be finding them in between minus 108 and I'm seeing them as really bad as a minus 113. Nine is your total over and under. And between minus 105 and minus 115 and the Nation pick is going to be on the Boston Red Sox. Set them a little bit more around a minus 116. Fighting them in some places at actually a very, very small plus price and is very appealing to me because just any way to be able to fade Dallas Keuchel in the spot to me is relatively solid. You take a look at Keuchel and he's been a little bit better recently giving up two runs or fewer in three out of his last five starts but still for the year. He has given up 27 runs in total over the course of 30 innings. A 6.60 ERA. His strikeouts per nine rate is hovering right around a 4.7. His walks per nine rate more like a 5. He's been better at home this year than he has been on the road, but that's not saying a lot considering his road ERA is a 12.27. And then take a look at Michael Walken. He's actually been really good this season. Wanted coming off the injured list a few weeks ago. Wanted up delivering four and two-thirds innings, giving up two runs against the Mariners in a win. And the Boston Red Sox have been very solid whenever he's been on the mound. They are 5-1 and one in his starts, having won each out of the last five. And for the Boston Red Sox, they've got a good mashing trio out there in the middle as you wind up having J.D. Martinez, Xander Bogarts, along with Rafael Devers, all entering into the game that they wound up having on Wednesday, hitting at least a 320 or better. And then everyone else that has seen at least 20 at-bats this season, they're hitting a 250 or lower. So you've seen a little bit of a drop-off there. Now, the good news is Trevor Story is really starting to get it going for this bunch. He has been able to do a nice job being able to pound out like 11 RBI in the last seven days. He wound up having that massive series against the Seattle Mariners. I do think that guys like Kike Hernandez company are going to be able to pick it up a little bit more. And then you do take a look at this Chicago White Sox team and deal with the injury to Eloy Jimenez. has been a little bit tough for them. Luis Robert has been very solid. He's been able to hit nearly a 300 for this team. And then Tim Anderson hitting a 355 has been absolutely terrific. But Jose Abreu has not been able to get out of his own way. A guy that's hitting below a 225 right now, having Andrew Vaughn back, sitting right around a 275, has been able to give you a little bit of power. That's been rock solid. But this is a White Sox team that their average should be low average with regards to their bullpen area this season. You've got Liam Hendricks, who's still a relatively solid 
Dog Closer. I do like Kendall Grayman as well, but some of these setup guys like a Bennett Sosa has not been able to do the job. Vince Velasquez is now coming out of the bullpen, and you never want Vince Velasquez in a game. Ronaldo Lopez has not necessarily been reliable. That's not necessarily been too great. And then you take a look at the flip side for the Boston Red Sox, and it's been a case in which you've got Matt Barnes, Ryan Brazier, both have north of five ERAs. Jake Diekman has been halfway decent for this team, but you also take a look at Irakazu Sadamona, not great, not terrible. Matt Stram, Ansel Robles, typically have been able to get the job done. So DK Nation pick here, going to be a fade of Dallas Keuchel. I do like the Boston Red Sox in this spot, so we're going to be looking at the Red Sox. I do think that both of these guys are going to give up some runs. I don't think that Waka is going to be able to maintain this sub-2 ERA, but I also think that Keiko gets destroyed as well. So this total at a 9.3, so looking over and looking at the Red Sox on the money line with the EK Nation pick. 919-920 on the bank board. The LA Angels, they're going to be playing on Sea Toronto Blue Jays. Hunjin Ryu is going to be going for the Jays, and Shohei Otani is going to be on the bone for the Angels. 7.5 is your total over and under, both at minus 110, and when it comes to the Angels, you're going to be finding them in between a minus 143 and a minus 150. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at Toronto, you're going to be finding them anywhere between a plus 130 and a plus 142. And when it comes to the Angels, I did wind up saying them in the spot at a minus 146. So, lot of the minus 143s, minus 145s I'm seeing, I'm willing to take the money line in this spot. And if you're taking a look at the run line, by the way, you're finding this anywhere between about a plus 135-ish. I'm seeing a plus 137 out there as well. I would need more like a plus 140 to be able to take a shot here. So I would rather go with a minus 145-ish on the money line just for the protection. And take a look at Shoei Otani. He's just always been a significantly better pitcher at home than on the road. And you go back to 2021 because he's been a little bit better on the road this season. But last year, Buck 95 home ERA, 6-0 and in 13 starts on the road, 5-0-2 ERA. And that despite the fact that he wound up giving up pretty much the same amount of home runs per nine innings at home than on the road. He has been able to do a great job of being able to get swings and misses just really all throughout his pitching career thus far this season. It has been a little bit of a smaller sample size, but has been able to do a nice job there. And then with Hunjin Ryu, 6 ERA, though, I will say he was a little bit banged up towards the beginning of the season. Last two starts has won a combined 10 and two-thirds innings against the Reds and the Tampa Bay Rays, giving up just one run in those two starts. So that has been very good to see, but that said, you also do take a look at what you're able to get out of this Toronto Blue Jays bullpen, and now you've got Ross Stripling coming out of the bullpen. I've actually liked what I've seen of Jordan Romano whenever he's had to close out games, but it has been a case of which you've had Adam Simber really having to be one of the main guys he wind up having to trust, and he's been okay, but Yimi Garcia has not necessarily been able to do a great job of being able to close out games. Julian Merriweather has been all over the place for this team as well, so you do have quite a few guys that have been less than trustworthy to say the least out there in the bullpen, and then you take a look at the Angels. Ryan Tapera has certainly been up and down for this team. You would like to see him be a little bit more consistent, but Aaron Loop still has been able to do a solid job. Rossi Iglesias, one of the better closers out there in the big leagues. You need a little bit more out of guys like Oliver Ortega and company, but still a team in which you do have a couple solid relievers and got a guy in Troy Otani that I would suspect is probably going to be able to go 6 plus in this spot and then for the Angels as well Taylor Ward being injured the last few days has hurt them, he's sitting at 370 with 9 home runs but I mean the great antidote with that, Mike Trout hitting above a 300 double digit amount of homers, Otani himself has been able to hit above a 250 he's been able to do a good job of being able to go yard recently, Brandon Marsh is hitting above a 250, Joe Adele wanted to get sent back down to the minor leagues just because these other guys like Tyler Wade have been able to do a solid job 
for this team. You've been able to get some very good production out of someone like a Jared Walsh as well. And then for the Blue Jays, you got to figure that someone like a George Springer or a Vlagero Jr. is going to be able to pick it up, both of these guys, between 7 to 8 home runs, hitting right around 262 to 270. Tasker Hernandez hitting below the Mendoza line is not something that's going to be lasting for the entirety of the season. The catcher spot in general with Alejandro Kirk, along with someone like Zach Collins, these guys have actually been able to do a halfway decent job as well, but I do still have my question marks with Hunjin Ryu. He's looked solid in his last two starts since coming off the injured list, but Choi Otani has just been flat out dealing whenever he's been at home. And for the Blue Jays, this team, if they're not last, they're in the bottom three with regards to hitting with men in scoring position. I think that there's going to be a little bit of upward momentum, so I did wind up saying this total at a 7.8. So at the 7.5 that I'm seeing, I'm willing to go over, but that said, with the Angels, even with Taylor Ward out of the fold, I do think that they're going to be able to back up Shoei Otani with enough offense to be able to get it done. So, going to be taking a look at the Angels up to right around a minus 145 and going to be taking a look at an over and we wrap things up with 921-922 on the main board. The Walker, Texas Rangers hit the road to face off against the Oakland A's. One, Ferenki Montas is going to be going for the A's and Martin Perez is going to be on the bump for Texas. Your total on this game is 7 under any between minus 120, minus 130 over is any between even a plus 110. Meanwhile, with Oakland, find them any between minus 118 and minus 122. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at Texas, saying between even money and plus 112, and this is a spot in which I did wind up saying Oakland as a minus 127 favorite, so I'm going to be willing to lay it here. You've had Martin Perez have a very nice start to the season, and last time we wound up facing off against Oakland on the road, he actually wound up pitching six scoreless innings against the Oakland A's a little bit earlier this season, so that was a very good showing for him, and you take a look at Perez, and he has been absolutely lights out over his last six starts, giving up zero or one earned runs in every one of them. You did wind up having a start against the Royals in which there were a few unearned runs, which made it a little bit more than one. But in terms of earned runs, one or fewer in all of them. And then for Frankie Montas, he's been able to do a relatively solid job holding down the fort. He's given up a combined six runs over the course of his last four starts and has been able to do a nice job of being able to get swings and misses right around 10 strikeouts per nine innings for him this season. 335 home ERA has just a 1-3 and three record to show for it, though, because this is an Oakland A's offense that, to call it very politely, has not been good this year. You take a look at this Oakland A's team, and right now they are hitting as a collective 211. That is the worst mark out there in the big leagues. And you just take a look at what you're getting in general out of this team. You've got one guy that's got more than four at-bats that's hitting above a 231 in Sheldon Noisy. So that is a massive issue. This is a team that has 28 home runs in 45 games this year. To put that into perspective, Aaron Judge and John Carlos Stanton have combined for just as many home runs thus far this season. So that is not something that you want to see. And then for the Texas Rangers, this is a bunch that they've been able to have Nick Solak not necessarily give them a ton inning right around a 215, but you got to figure that he's going to be able to pick it up a little bit. You've had Corey Seager be able to chip in there right around eight home runs thus far this season. So you need a little bit more there, but certainly doing better than Marcus Simeon, who's sitting below the Mendoza line of a 200 as as many home runs as myself, but Cole Calhoun is starting to pick it up a little bit. He, Charlie Coverson, they're hitting between about a 240 to a 250. You've got Adolis Garcia who needs to pick it up with batting average, but as we will give you a little bit of pop, and then Jonah Heim as we will right around a 300-ish for much of the season as well. And when it comes to Rangers, very solid bullpen for this team as Joe Barlow along Brock Burke. Both have sub-2 ERAs. You've been able to get John King going with right around a 250 ERA. Matt Moore, I think, is going to see some regression, but he's been able to do a solid job. And then you take a look at the Oakland A's, and right now you've got a trio of guys out there in this bullpen. Danny Jimenez, Sam Mull, you're able to throw in there as well. A.J. Puck, 
who all have a 0.70 or lower ERA. These guys are solid, but I think that there's going to be a little bit of regression with that regard. Zach, Justin Graham has not necessarily been too terrific, but he's able to eat a couple innings. Adam Cleric has been able to do a solid job as well. So I do take a look at this spot, and I think that the 7 is actually very warranted, despite the fact that you might not have, like, superstar pitchers or anything like that. Perez has been relatively solid, but I do think that Frankie Montas going to be able to get it done at home, and I do think that we're going to see a little bit of positive regression with the Oakland A's lineup with getting back Jed Lowry. So I did wind up saying the A's at a minus 120. Seven. I'm going to be willing to lay it here. And with this total at 7, I would like to see the juice get even out a little bit more. If we wind up getting like a 6F with minus 110 juice, I'd be willing to take it over there. As I said, my total at 6.7. But with seeing all 7s right now, willing to take it under. And I'm willing to ride with the Oakland A's at right around a minus 120. And that will wrap things up for the... Thursday edition of the Baseball Betting Show, now part of the VEASAN Family Podcast. Big thanks to Alex Crow of 620 WTMJ for joining me in the last segment. If you do like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, the Baseball Betting Show, you're able to subscribe wherever you hear podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you've got one or two ways we all fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GUnit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters M. They mean does not matter. So as per usual, please send these into the timeline. The other way is via an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, very much appreciate And then from there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season. That means I'm coming at you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.